So, there's a lot going on this morning. Uh, so I just want to ask you to ask God to help you uh, buckle up and take it all in, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can to streamline, okay? But I'm not going to not say things that God wants me to say, all right? So just buckle up, think like you're in Cuba or Africa where the meetings take all day, all right? And then this will feel short. The whole thing will feel short. You'll be like, man, that was only an hour and a half, not six hours like usual. Just think like that, okay? Just change your mindset, all right? Um, but really, if, you get, if you're like me and I sit for too long, uh, it's like the words that start sounding like uh, peanuts, the teacher in peanuts. Remember the... That, if I start sounding like that, you can feel free to stand up and pace the back of the room or the side or whatever, okay, to, to help yourself, all right? Um, that's me. That's what I would do. So um, first I want to respond to Kim's words specifically. They were all great. That prophetic word from Kim Emerson about this is a moment of change, God's doing a new thing, the new wineskin thing, and then the, the warning, the gentle warning about the vision, all of that is what's motivating me to preach on the things I'm preaching on. Um, for, starting last week, if you missed last week, there were a lot of people out because it's New Year's and, you know, it was cold outside. And so uh, just go back and listen to it. I'll recap a little this morning, but I said last week that I think we're at a major inflection point. And I'll define that for you if you don't know what that word means. Um, it's a fun word. It's a geometry term. It originally was used in geometry, which is this idea of a curve, the exact mathematical point where the curve turns back like this, where it changes direction, where it stops being just a little slope and it becomes a curve. All right? That exact moment of change, the exact peak of the curve is the inflection point. And so when we talk about change, it's like when does the change happen? And I think this year is an inflection point for us. And I suspect we will look back on this year and say that was a bigger change in who we are as a church than back when we replanted the church in 2015 or whatever that was and changed the name. And um, a lot of y'all weren't even here for that, which is also interesting. Um, so I'm trying to get ahead of that prophetically and speak to you and challenge you about what I think is coming, but mostly to say, I don't know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shuffle, okay? So, so the way we keep from being divided is two things. One is clear vision, which I'm trying to help you with. The other is love each other. And by love each other, I talked about this last week, love is self-sacrificing. Love says your preference is more important than my preference, which is not the human tendency, is it? Love says, hey, you have this gift and this calling, and it, it's kind of, it's maybe a, kind of running over some of mine, and I'm going to prefer you and sacrifice my own needs and desires and preference for you. Now, hopefully, if the other person's doing that, we're winning right? Uh, it's, it's always challenging. Just worshiping together by itself is a challenge, isn't it? Because you got the songs you like, you got the, you know, the music you like, you have the level of lighting that you prefer that really gets you in the mood for Jesus, 
right? You have all kinds of things, the environment, you know, and, and everybody in here has got their own preference, and we all come together and we try to worship together, and everybody's preferences bump against everybody else's automatically. And so this is what Christians do. We figure out how to love each other, and that's how we stay unified. We have clear vision, and we love each other. Um, now we can just go home. I feel like I just preached the whole sermon. Um, so let me quickly recap last week. Um, very quickly, this is not the same as listening to the sermon last week, all right? If you haven't listened to it, go do that. Um, our vision, very quickly, or, or meaning what we aspire to, is that we want to see lives transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. So transformation is the goal, and transformation is impossible without the Holy Spirit. So we set the goal as something that's impossible for us to achieve by ourselves. If all we ever do is gather people in the room, then we've missed the mark. We want to gather people that are changed. We want it to be hard to be in Living Hope Church and ignore what God is doing in your life. We want it to be hard to be in Living Hope Church and not be concerned with seeing other people transformed. We want it to be uncomfortable for you to just sit and stay the same and not grow year after year after year with sitting on your hands waiting for Jesus to come back. We want that to be hard for you, all right? We want it to be easy for you to engage with God and to see you grow yourself, change yourself, be transformed, but also to see other people do that, all right? Um, and we talked about the biblical foundation for that last week. I'll give you one verse. It's my current favorite verse. I know you shouldn't pick favorites, but it's where I'm at right now. Colossians 1, 28 through 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's the vision. All right, so mission, meaning how we plan to accomplish this. We talked about four things. We want to help people. Number one, worship God. Number two, love one another. Number three, make disciples. And four, invite the world. We focus on those four things. That's how, biblically, how transformation happens. Um, and we talked about each one of those four things in detail. I'm not going to do that this morning. I just want to point out that this is for everyone. Every one of these things is for everyone, not just us in this room. We, when we're worshiping, we want to see more worshipers. When we are loving one another, that is a demonstration to the world of what Jesus is like, and it draws people in. When we make disciples, we don't just be disciples, followers of Jesus. We also want to make more disciples. That's our mission, right? And inviting the world is obvious. We open up and we have a constant invitation to the world to come, come and be in the family of God. Not come join my church. It's come be in the family of God. That's way cooler. Look, if, if this, none of this stuff is real, if Jesus isn't, didn't rise again, we are in a really weird club. We do, we do some weird stuff. We, we stand around and we sing songs together about God, and then we sit and listen to this guy talk about what God says, and we actually believe that this book, this ancient book, doesn't just contain the very words of God, it is the very words of God, as Israel pointed out. If that's not true, then we should be pitied, as Paul says. So we're not just inviting the world to come to our weird club. We're inviting the world to come be in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, because you have seen the kingdom with your eyes. Your eyes have been opened, as was 
share this morning. All right? So, all that to bring us to um, our values. This is where we're at this morning. I'm gonna, I've picked three essential values, is the way I'm putting it. We value more things than this, okay? So if you're like, man, how come this or that's not in the list? This doesn't mean we don't value it. It's just we've got to focus on something, and this can't be a two-hour-long sermon, okay? We've got to focus. So I'm giving you three essentials, and then if you want to tack on more in your mind, go for it. Um, there are lots of things we could value. Okay, so three things, three church is statements. One, the church is family. Two, the church is word and spirit. I cheated. That could be a, a fourth one. I put two in one, but I'm allowed because I wrote the notes, all right? <laughs> the church is word and spirit, and three, the church is a mission, all right? So let's talk about the church as family. The language of a disciple, the disciple teacher is used, you talk about Jesus is the rabbi, and then he has his 12 disciples. That language is what, how that relationship between the disciples and Jesus was described early on, but it quickly changed to the language of family as the church was born. As you read your New Testament, especially if you read it chronologically, you see a change happen in the way they describe their relationships with each other and their relationships with their leaders. It becomes the language of family, brother, sister, father, mother, son, daughter. It's really interesting. It becomes, that becomes the dominant metaphor for the relationships in the church going forward. Okay? Faith in Christ joins us to his spiritual family forever. We, were once, we, were, we who were once strangers, acquaintances, or friends are now spiritual brothers and sisters. The church is more like a family of siblings than an organization of members or a classroom of students. We are more like a family than anything else. And so I can say to someone who's not my brother, but in Christ I can say, you're my brother. And I can say to a woman who is not my sister, but in Christ I can call her my sister. And that's not weird. That's actually describing what our relationship should be like. I'll give you a couple of really cool examples. Matthew 12, 46 through 40 says, or excuse me, 46 through 50. While he was speaking to the people, this is Jesus. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is doubly powerful because Jesus is describing what the church relationships are like, but he's also saying you're in his family. And who is Jesus? We talked, this, talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He's God and he's man. That means your brother and your brother is Jesus. You are in the family, not just the church family, but the God family. God's very family, you're a member of it. But this is how he describes, and he is clearly prioritizing the spiritual family over his natural family. He just said it with his mom standing outside the door. How did she feel about that? It's not recorded conveniently. <laughs> but he says in front of his mother, this is my true family. You're still family, but this is my true family. 
That's the church. I'll give you another one. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17 says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. This is Paul talking to the church. Paul, the leader of the church, refers to the church not as the congregations, not as members, not even as disciples. He refers to them as his children. Does that make you uncomfortable? How would you feel if I just referred to all of y'all as, good morning, my children? (laughs) Think about it. Why is that uncomfortable? Verse 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul was not married. He had no natural-born kids. But he refers to Timothy as his child, kind of his firstborn. And he says, I sent you, Timothy, my child, and you are my children. And I am like a father to you. And he says, you've got lots of people out there in church world that are guides, that are teaching you things that they don't know you. They're providing information and help, telling you how to live, how to lead, how to do stuff. But you know what you don't have? You don't have fathers. I'm your father. Not much has changed. You can go on. Ever ask the question, what's the difference? Why not just listen to your favorite preacher every Sunday instead of this guy? You can go out on the internet, just like with every, just like every other product that exists. When you go on Amazon, you want to buy like a doily for your house or whatever it is you buy on Amazon. You look at what's the best one. There's like 2,000 of them. And I'm going to find the best one, and that's the one I'm going to buy. You can do the same thing with preachers. You can go out there and you can find the best preacher in the world who's the, just tailor-made what you think is the best one. He's got the best doctrine, the best delivery. His sermons aren't too long. There's no awkward jokes, no awkward humor, and none of this redneck accent coming out of his mouth. I can go and I can just listen to it, and you, you can get better sermons on the Internet than what I'm doing. But what's the difference? Paul says, I'm your father. Be imitators of me like a child imitates his dad. doesn't mean daddy's perfect. It just means dad is the one you imitate. That is the difference. And so we are in a, this is how we want Living Hope Church to feel. We want it to feel like a family. We want to act like this is actually family, right? We are not trying to be like a family. It's already a family by definition. Jesus calls us a family. We are not trying to be a family. Now, at this season in Living Hope Church's history, there's some friction over this because there's a difference between a small family of like two and a family, or let's say a family reunion of 200. They are both family. They both, they're all brothers, sisters, moms, and dads. But one operates one way, the other one operates another way. You go to your family reunion with 200 cottons. If there are, I'm sorry, there may be more than 200 cottons. 
But if there were 200 cottons, you'd have to have name tags. You know, Aunt Susie would have to have a table where she would say, hey, you got to line up and get your name tag, and who are you again, and who are you related to, and you'd have all these kinds of things you'd have to put in place. And that's where we're at as a church. It takes more organization to make everyone feel at home. For the people who are on the outside to feel as though they're on the inside, that takes intentionality and organization. For it to continue to feel like family, unless we're going to say, us four and no more, we're the frozen chosen. Us four and no more for the glory of the Lord. And I'm just telling you right now, we're not saying that, Okay. That's not the vision. Otherwise, we have to be intentional. Another way to think about it is when people are coming to your house for dinner, you spruce up the place, you cook a nice meal, you make extra, maybe you do a few extra things that you wouldn't do if it was just you. You might get out the nice china, but normally you don't get out the nice china. You're not being fake. Nobody thinks you always eat on your nice china. They just think it's nice that you got out the nice china. If you even have nice china, we tried to collect it for a while and we just gave up. You get what you get at our house. But I will say we clean the bathroom right before you come. You know, wipe down the toilet and everything. I, my tolerance for the state of the toilet is different when people are coming over. That's okay. And it's okay if you know that sometimes a toilet doesn't look this clean. It's all right. Yes, we have a closet. I won't tell you which one. If you've been in our house often enough, you know which closet is the one. But there is a closet in which everything gets thrown before people come over. That is not being inauthentic. It's not being fake. It's being hospitable. Because I don't want you to have to step over all my junk, the 10,000 shoes that I leave and Heather complains about every day on the floor with multiple pairs of socks that do not match. I'm picking that up for you, right? It's hospitality. You don't do that just to make you look good. You actually want people to feel at home. These are the kind of things families do, and it becomes more important if you're having guests come over. So we are a family, but we are a family that is an open family, open to new members of the family, wanting to see God adopt new children into the family of God and have them join us. And we want them to feel a part of the family. And the only way to do that is to have people smarter than me organize things. So number two, the church's word and spirit. Jesus established the church through the word and the spirit. I'm not going to read all these verses, but in my notes, which, by the way, there's some on the back table if you want them, if you want to look at these scriptures. Acts 2, 1 through 4 and verse 42. We'll read part of that in just a minute. Paul encouraged fullness of both word and spirit in 1 Timothy. Fullness meaning it's not a compromise between one or the other. Churches tend to, historically, lean towards being a word church. We love the Bible. We preach the Bible. We're conservative about the Bible. We stand on the Bible, and that's our thing. And they tend to kind of say, but the Holy Spirit makes us a little nervous. He's unpredictable. He does weird stuff. 
No weird stuff, please. We're Bible people, right? Or you tend to have, not, you know, this is some generalizing, or you tend to have Holy Spirit churches where it's a wild and crazy ride. Call them charismaniacs, right? You're like, woohoo! Swinging from the chandeliers, running on the back of the pews, jumping in, the, in and out of the baptismal. You've seen the videos. Without a whole lot of word going on. Without a whole lot of honoring of scripture and what does God say in the word of God, right? We want to be both. It is not a choice between the two. There is no choice. The word of God is in full support of the Holy Spirit doing his thing with absolute freedom. And the Holy Spirit is really, really into the word of God. You know how I know? Because he wrote it. If you want a word from God, just open your Bible. It's right there, immediate and fresh. It's always fresh, never stale. But you know what that word is going to tell you? It's going to tell you, you know, the Holy Spirit's leading you to do this or that. He's empowering you, and he's called you, and he's anointed you for a purpose. And there's the Holy Spirit's always at work, and it's right in tandem with the word of God. It's never in competition. There's no spectrum there. It's not a spectrum with the word on one side and the Holy Spirit on the other. And they're told, there's no tension. They're both together, right? We do not believe that taking the Bible seriously is in conflict with an expectation to experience the presence and the gifts of the Spirit. In Acts 2, the Holy, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends on the 12 disciples at Pentecost and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They go out as apostles sent by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You want to know where the apostolic church began? It was in that moment when they were sent. That's what the word apostle means. They were sitting and not sending, <laughs> waiting as Jesus told them to. Then the Holy Spirit comes and he fills them and the immediate result is they are sent out with the power of God on their lips. And the church was born and it expanded <laughs> through all sorts of persecution and difficulty and a lot of dumb things it did along the way. But it still worked because the Holy Spirit anointed them. Until persecution begins, they continue to go to, syn to synagogue and also gather people together in the temple complex, but they also gather in homes and look at the description of what they did together here in Acts 2. You can see everything I'm talking about right here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And, by, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you can see the sense of family here, right? They're going to temple together. They're doing all, the, all that, you know, worshiping together stuff that they had always done as Jews, but now they're also added on this sense of we're, going to, we're hanging out in each other's homes. They're sharing all their stuff. Like selling off their possessions. They didn't have a lot of money, so they said, how can I get money? Well, I can sell my car. I can sell my house. I can 
cash in my 401k. I can do all these different. They're selling their stuff, stuff they need. These are not rich people giving it to each other, not because somebody told them they had to or because the preacher on the TV said it will give you a blessing. They're doing it because they are a family, and it's what you do for family. When you find out your family member can't do what they need to do, you help them. That's what family does. But we also see them devoting themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching. This is pre-Bible language for the Word of God. Eventually, the apostles' teaching got written down, and that's our New Testament. So they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're not just hanging out and eating food and having, you know, hot dog fellowship. They're, they're learning about who Jesus is, and they're understanding the gospel. What did Jesus teach? These guys were with him, and they were laying to them the, the teaching of Jesus, and they're fellowshipping together. This is what it should feel like to be in the church. This is what word and spirit looks like because what else is happening here is miracles are happening signs and wonders are happening and the result of all of this together this word and the spirit coming together in a community that feels like a family the result was the lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved it's probably the greatest time of expansion the church has ever seen and what it felt like was a missional family that loved each other well. This is the goal. So number three, the church is a mission. It has been said, and I cannot remember, I Googled it and couldn't find it. Maybe somebody here can find it. I'm pretty sure it was Ed Stetzer, but if I'm crediting Ed Stetzer with the wrong quote, I'm sorry. He said, or somebody like him said, the church does not have a mission, it is a mission. Or you could say the church doesn't have a mission, the mission has a church. I like the church is a mission a little better. The church is not the same as the kingdom of God. The church is the advancing arm of the kingdom of God. It is not meant to, we are not settlers. We're not meant to settle down and, and, and we are exiles. That's how we are described in the Bible. Exiles. We are here because we have to be here, but we don't, we are not members of this household, the household of the world. We're not citizens here. We're citizens of another kingdom, of another city. But we're here. So what do we do here? The church does not exist for itself. It is not designed to be a spiritual cul-de-sac where all the blessings of God are enjoyed but not given away. The love of God must not end with us, but it must flow through us to others. When we have wonderful worship times like we had this morning, there should be an ache in your soul that says, this is not just for me to enjoy. I am not living in a cul-de-sac that ends here and we just go around the circle enjoying ourselves in God and never, ever, ever giving it away. Three places to apply this. One is the global mission of God. Jesus commissioned his church to proclaim the good news to all nations of the world in the same way that disciples are called to make disciples, churches are called to plant churches. We are a replicating entity, the church is. This is the primary way that the global mission of God is accomplished. It's not the only way, but it's the primary. When you look at the New Testament, this is what Paul did. He went around, he preached, 
And if he, he found anybody that listened to him and become a Christian, boom, there's a church. He would call it a church, and then he'd move on to the next place, and he'd start another one. Little hubs of gospel witness in cities all over, everywhere he could reach, everywhere he could touch, that's where he went, and that's what he did. Secondly, remembering the poor. We want to be a church that's good news to the poor that are around us. We want to fully include and honor the economically disadvantaged. We want to advocate for the oppressed and strengthen the weak. Isaiah 58, I don't have time for it this morning. Just go read it this afternoon. I dare you. It will convict you. Because what it basically says is God's not happy with Israel, not because they aren't doing all the right sacrifices and worshiping the right way. He's upset with them because they're doing all the right things on the uh, to appease God, but at the underneath it is this lack of concern for the poor. And he says, I don't receive your worship because you're neglecting the poor. Go read Isaiah 58. Then there's the city. We are called to live as exiles living in a foreign land, sent there by God to bear witness to the goodness of God and be a blessing to the city. John 15, Jesus said, we're in the world but not of it. It's a great picture. Imagine a boat. This is how I always explain that verse. A boat in dry dock is one of the most awkward looking things. It is useless. You take a boat out of the water and you stick it in a dry dock up in the air and it's not in the water and you look at it and go, that's useless. But you put the boat in the water but if the water gets in the boat, that's also bad. Now the boat is sinking, right? So you put the boat in the water because the boat is supposed to be in the water. It's what, part of what it's designed for. You stick the boat in the water. The church should be in the world, but not the world in the church. You with me? I don't want you to drown. But please, please, get your gift in the water can't catch fish if your line's not in the water. Oh. So, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, first of all, this was God's judgment on Israel, sending them into exile. But he is the one that sent them, and there's another purpose. Look what he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. I translate that as saying, go live a big life. Don't live a small life. Live a big life. Work hard with the goal of not being a resource drain, but a net positive blessing to the community around you. Be a giver, not a taker. Give more than you take. Bless more than you curse. Encourage more than you complain. Live honorable lives. Love people that don't love you back. This is how we live in the world. We seek the welfare of the city to be a blessing, knowing I don't belong here, and I'm always going to be an oddball. And the things I believe and the God I worship will always put me at friction with the world around me, but I'm still going to live a big, honorable life of blessing to the world around me. 
I'm not going to spend most of my time complaining and being negative. I'm going to spend most of my time being an encouragement and a blessing. Be the kind of person that people want to be around. That people want to come to when they have a problem. You want people to say, hey man, I don't, I don't really believe what you believe, but can you give me some advice? Be that person. This is the starting point of a missional life. To take it further, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, he says, from now on, therefore we regard, the therefore is referring to basically the gospel, okay? We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's every Christian, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the work we're up to as a church. You came into the family of God a blind beggar. And he brought you in, he gave you a home and a family and a kingdom to belong to. He made you a citizen of heaven. And he sent you into the world as an exile, saying, I'm going to come back and I'm gather you up after a time. And you're going to not have to live as an exile anymore. But for now, you're an exile, so live like it. Seek the welfare of the city. And I have a goal. I brought you into the kingdom, not just for you. What does it say? He says, I brought you in because I was reconciling the world to myself. God's mission and his, his idea behind saving you was not just for you and to get you into heaven. It was also that through you, he could reconcile others to himself why you're still here. I would have loved it if the minute I became a Christian, I was immediately raptured. Wouldn't that be great? You know, you have an altar call on a Sunday morning and three people come up and two rapture up to heaven. And you look at the, I say, you're, you're lying, man. This ain't real. You immediately know, because anybody that becomes a Christian is whoosh, sucked up into heaven. Job done. And then this, the world gets smaller and smaller. That would have been my plan if I was in charge. But it is not God's plan. He gets glory out of taking us blind beggars and turning us into missional people who are ambassadors for him. We are not him, but we are his representatives in the world who carry his full authority to speak for him and say, be reconciled to God. This is the mission of God, and it's what we're up to. That's what I mean when I say the church is the mission. So where God has placed you in the body of Christ, where has he placed you to toil towards that goal? That's the question. What spiritual gifts and natural resources has God given you to do your part in the ministry of reconciliation? The old way to put that is uh, your, the three T's, your time, talent, and treasure. I don't like the word talent because that's not spiritual gifts. 
It should say time, talent, treasure, and gifts, but there's no G there, so I've ruined it, all right? But you get the idea. All the resources that God has given you, your spiritual gifts, your natural abilities, your, your circle of influence in your life, and your time, all of it should be given towards this one thing. That's why you're here. You're not here to take up space, breathe, and use stuff, and then die. That's not why you're here. So, two questions. Number one, do you need to be reconciled to God? I've been talking to people who are already Christians most of this morning, but I want to stop and say, if you are not reconciled with God, if you're not in his family, if you cannot call yourself the brother or sister of Christ, then that can change right now. Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. Have your eyes been opened to who he is? If so, confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead. We implore you, as Paul said, be reconciled to God. There's an open invitation to you. Secondly, if you have been reconciled to God, if you're in his family, have you found your place as God's ambassador for reconciliation? Have you found the place where you fit into that mission? It doesn't mean you're, 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 you don't have to be an evangelist to do this. You just got to use your gift. We're going to talk about that next week, about spiritual gifts and begin to, but I just want to say to you this morning, just take an attitude of curiosity. Stop being so pass-fail. Well, I got to take a test and figure out what my, my gifts are, and then I'm going to go do those gifts, and I hope it's right, and I hope I don't fall on my face and get it wrong. That is not the way. Don't be pass-fail about spiritual gifts. Have fun. Say, it would be really cool to have the gift of prophecy. I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> that looks pretty great. Just hearing from God for people, man, that takes a lot of the pressure off. I'd like to be able to do that. So go to your small group. Or if you want to do it here, go ahead, but that takes more gut. I understand that. If you're an extrovert, maybe it doesn't. Go to your small group and be like, hey, you know, if you have a time of prayer, just say, all right, God, give me something. Come on, give me something to say. And then you're going to be like, oh, I don't know. It sounds, maybe it's just me. And uh, it seems, uh, just stop that. Don't be pass fail and just do the thing. It would be great to have the gift of healing. Wouldn't that? Lay hands on people and see them healed. You know what you do with that? You don't wonder if you have it. You go try it. You go stick your hand on somebody. Just like you're reading the Bible. I mean, ask them first. Maybe. Maybe it's a surprise attack is better. I don't know. <laughs> stick your hand on them. Say, okay, it says it here. Lay hands on the sick. And I see them doing it, so I'm going to do the same thing. Just like, a, just like a child. Put your hand on say, Lord, heal them. Anything happen? No. Can we try it again? Yeah. Lord heal. Anything happen? No? All right. Can I try it again? Just relax. Be curious about what God's put in you. Because there's no limit to the Holy Spirit. So when, when we talk about spiritual gifts next week, I just want you to go into it with an attitude of not self-analysis, Pass, fail, am I going to get this wrong? Am I going to make a mistake? What if it doesn't work? 
Stop acting like such a grown-up. <laughs> and just be curious about what God might do. And what you'll discover is there's things in you that God's put in you that you didn't see. And it's got nothing to do with your ability. or any, It's just, are you willing, and will you just do the thing and let God do what he's going to do? This is how you get involved in the work of this ministry of reconciliation is you just start using your gifts. Maybe your gift is evangelism. And maybe all you need to do is be willing to say, it would be cool to have the gift of evangelism. What if I just said something? I'm just going to try it out to my coworker or my neighbor or my friend or whoever. Say, hey, have you, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to be in the family of God? It's really cool. You want to try it? What if they said, yeah, I've just been waiting for somebody to ask me. I don't understand Christianity at all. I have questions. And you started having coffee with them and answering questions. Say, I don't know the answer to that question. Let's read the Bible and figure it out. And they become a Christian because you just were curious enough to see what would happen if you tried it. I want to give you some faith for that. Don't be so grown up about spiritual gifts. God has uniquely gifted everyone in this room to be a particular part of the body of Christ and we need to get work doing that thing whatever that is all right why don't we stand up and pray we're not going to end with the song this morning like normal just to save a little bit of time so I'll pray and then I think Israel's going to come close is that still happening okay God, thank you for your word. God, we want to be people of the word and people of the spirit. God, remove every uh, deception about there being tension there. God, help us to learn what it means to be a family. God, and to take on whatever form of family you have called us to take on at this season as, our, in a, as a church. God, help us to love each other. God, I pray that you would protect us from the division that you warned us about this morning and that you would do it by teaching us what it means to love one another and to hold our own desires and preferences loosely. God, that we would be more excited about other people fulfilling their calling than we are about our own. God, stir up love in this church. You're already so loving. God, I pray that you would reinforce that here. And God, that you would give us a clear vision of what you've called us to do. God, that you would stir up the gifts in every single person in this church. God, we want to see more worshipers here. God, we want, to, we want more people to experience the feeling of being a part of a spiritual family and worshiping God together. And the exchange, the beautiful exchange between us and him as we glorify him and he pours out his love on us. There is nothing like it. So God, we want to see more people in that place, more transformation. So Lord, would you begin with us this morning? In the name of Jesus. Amen.